Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. Hello and welcome to World Weekly. I'm John Aglianby. China has just completed its carefully scripted once-in-a-decade leadership transition. The only two uncertainties prior to the conclusion were whether the Politburo Standing Committee would be cut from nine to seven members and whether the Communist Party chief Xi Jinping would also be made head of the Central Military Commission. The answer to both was yes. But what now for China? How will the new leadership cope with an increasingly demanding population? And will the world engage with Beijing any differently? Joining me on the line from Beijing is Jamil Andalini, the FT's Beijing bureau chief. From Hong Kong is the FT's Asia editor, David Pilling. And here in the studio is James Blitz, the FT's diplomatic editor. So starting with Jamil, what are your lasting memories of the Communist Party Congress? It was quite striking how much they used the orthodox language of Marxism-Leninism, Mao Zedong thought, Deng Xiaoping theory, and uh, the newest theory to enter the pantheon of uh, Chinese socialism with Chinese characteristics theory. And the latest one is called Scientific Outlook on Development. The whole thing felt so removed from the everyday lives of average Chinese people. The whole procedure was felt very anachronistic. The at the very end of the whole Congress, everyone was asked to stand and to sing the Internationale. China is so far removed from its Marxist-Leninist Mao Zedong roots, but the party still insists on using this rubric, its sort of founding ideology. They need to at least talk about it all the time, even if they don't even believe it themselves. So do you think this will come back to haunt them in the years to come? Well, what was really striking about today when Xi Jinping, the new president of China, or the man who will be the new president of China soon, he was named today as the head of the Communist Party and as the commander-in-chief of the military. And he got up and he gave a speech, a brief speech, but he mentioned the word socialism once, socialism with Chinese characteristics. He mentioned it once. And the rest of his speech, he talked about the urgent need to address the demands of the people. And he talked about the flaws of the Communist Party. He talked about the real problems that are facing this party as it tries to maintain its rule over the next decade. But interestingly, from what I've heard of his speech, he didn't offer many solutions. Is this something that we need to worry about? The leadership, they're good at talking about the problems, but there aren't, don't seem to be many solutions being articulated at the moment. Well, this forum today, when he stood up, it was a very short speech. It was meant to be somewhat casual, as, as casual as uh, the Chinese Communist Party can get, um, which is not very casual. But uh, the, the whole idea was to just introduce people to the new leadership and to introduce the new style. It wasn't suppo- supposed to be about substance. It was all supposed to be about, here I am, I'm going to be different, I'm going to be more plain-spoken, and I'm going to uh, present a different way of governing. You know, in the coming months, in the coming year or so, we'll see, hopefully, a different agenda, possibly a new series of reforms the government 
recognises need to be made. But again, as you point out, it's, it's very difficult for them, partly because there's no real agreement at the very top over what exactly needs to be done to deal with the mounting problems that they face. And there are very large institutional interests in state-owned enterprises, in the military, in the security apparatus, and throughout the bureaucracy that are obstacles to any change to the political system or to the economic model. As you say, plenty of uncertainties out there. David, if I could turn to you now, and I mentioned at the beginning the two uncertainties over this Congress were the number of people that would be on the Politburo Standing Committee and whether Xi Jinping would become the head of the Central Military Commission. How significant is it that the number was cut to seven and he is also now the head of the Central Military Commission? It's funny in a sense because we've spent a lot of the year talking about how difficult this transition has been with the purging of Bo Xilai and the kind of shining a light on some of the big problems within the Communist Party, corruption and so forth. But in a sense, the way it turned out is this transition has been very smooth. Xi Jinping will now take over all three of the big posts. He'll, of course, um, have to wait until March before he becomes president. Um, But he's taken over the other two. And he's also in charge of a streamlined standing committee, which could mean, if he chose to, he would be able to push through change slightly more easily because he wouldn't have nine people to form a consensus with or nine factions behind them. He'd have uh, have seven. So uh, for those who are looking for a strong leader who may be able to push through change, then uh, what we've seen today might favour that interpretation of what's, uh, what's about to happen. Do you buy that? Do you think that he will be able to meet the challenges of corruption, the bureaucracy, and as Jamil so eloquently said, an apparent disconnect between the party and the reality of life in China? We don't really know what he wants to do, is the first point to make. I mean, Xi Jinping has become the top member of the Communist Party, in a sense, by keeping his head down. And there are all sorts of theories about what he may want to do. But in truth, we don't know. I mean, what we saw today was that he is a a man who has a very different style to Hu Jintao, much more confident and speaks in a way that appears as though he understands people much more than uh, than Hu Jintao appeared to. But the problems that the Communist Party uh, confronts and that China confronts are obviously um, huge. Just to go through them very quickly, the, the economic model that we've seen so far, which has worked so brilliantly in producing growth for 30 years, double-digit growth, is running out of steam because, in a sense, the easy path's been done and also the demographics are changing. So uh, they'll need to change or at least heavily tweak the economic model. And as Jamil says, that means taking on um, vested interests. Um, Then you have the whole kind of social phenomenon. I mean, as the Chinese people have got better off, the demands have also increased. They still want to get richer tomorrow, but they also want to travel in safe trains, to breathe clean air, to have officials who are not corrupt. And then I would think that the third challenge that Xi Jinping and the new standing committee will face is foreign policy, because um, China's ambitions have obviously grown. That's quite natural. But as a result of that, the policy of the smile diplomacy of hiding its light under a bushel while it got economically stronger, that has also kind of run its course. And you're seeing China come into not conflict yet, but certainly friction with the variety of neighbors Japan being the most obvious, but also Vietnam, 
uh, and the Philippines and, and one or two others. And so uh, these are a whole range of challenges for which there are no easy solutions. And one must stress that they partly result from the success that China has had so far. But there's certainly uh, big challenges where the answers may prove contradictory. Interesting you mentioned foreign policy there, James, if I could bring you in now. Um, do you think the world is going to look on this leadership significantly differently yet? Or are they going to have to wait and let the new leadership take the initiative and then respond? How is the rest of the world going to engage? I think they're going to have to wait a bit. Uh, there's no great surprise, as everybody knows, that uh, Xi Jinping became party leader. That was well expected. And he's also somebody who um, the U.S. has got to know a bit over the last year. Vice President Joe Biden paid a visit to China last year where he had lengthy meetings with him, and then Xi Jinping was in the U.S. this year. So they know him. But as we've sort of seen from the previous two interventions... Uh, it's unclear what direction he's going to take things in, both in terms of economic reform and political reform domestically, and also what kind of leader he will be in terms of foreign affairs. And there there are a lot of concerns. I mean, there's clearly the concerns that are much reported about the differences with Japan over the Senkaku Islands and the question about whether China will assert itself even more strongly over that and create tension there. And that brings in the U.S. because the U.S. has its military commitments to Japan. Uh, but there's also the question about um, countries in the region, Thailand, Vietnam, the Philippines, India, being concerned about Chinese assertiveness, particularly on territorial issues. So I think there's a certain amount of worry about uh, how all that is going to go. The good news, in a sense, is that the biggest thing that's probably happened in the last two or three weeks in terms of the U.S.-China relationship is that Mitt Romney didn't become president, because if he had done, the U.S. would probably have moved towards a much more confrontational stance with China, with Mitt Romney saying he would call China a currency manipulator, and the U.S. under Obama will not go that strongly. That said, the president is going to pay a visit to the region in the next few weeks, to Cambodia, to Thailand, and particularly significantly to Burma. And that is going to raise questions about the relationship between China and the U.S. in terms of who is more influential in the region. Do you think then, James, that everyone in Japan, China, the U.S. is now going to take a deep breath for the next few months as people get their domestic ducks in a row and then we'll have to wait until next year to see just how assertive China is? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I'm not an expert on China like David and Jamil, but having been a correspondent in the Soviet Union in the 1980s, I well remember that when you have these changes at the top of party systems of the kind you, you have today in China and had in the Soviet Union, it takes time to see how things are going to develop. Uh, nobody thought that Gorbachev in 1985 was going to turn out to be the significant reformer he was, or indeed going much further back, Khrushchev in 1956. Nobody thought he would be committed to de-Stalinization. And in the same way, I think there's a lot of hopes that Xi Jinping will be a reformer and push through the kinds of reforms that China wants. But it just takes time to find out whether he is going to be able to do that kind of thing and, and exert the kind of influence he would want to within the Politburo and the top leadership. Jamil, what kind of things do you think the world should be looking for from the new leadership in the next six months? And so, so we can tick off some yardsticks as to the type of direction that he will be taking China. Well, one very important point that you made earlier is that he was handed control over the military. He's been made the commander in chief of the military. 
whereas his predecessor, Hu Jintao, had to wait two years after taking over as party chief and president before he got the military position. So that's quite important. He's been given a very strong mandate, Xi Jinping, and we don't know exactly what he's going to do with that, but what a lot of people think is that this might mean he will have a more coherent foreign policy. Uh, what we've seen since 2010 especially is that China has made a series of what even senior Chinese policymakers call missteps, where it's really worried and offended all of its neighbors and got all of them looking to the U.S. for alliances, for new weapons, and really almost triggered an arms race or at least an, an alliance race in, in the Asian region. And a lot of people put that down to a, a more assertive military and the fact that Hu Jintao didn't really have all of the military and all of the uh, parts of the bureaucracy completely under his control. Whereas Xi Jinping coming in, he's got the military, he's got the party, and he will soon have the, the state officially under his control. The idea is that he might be able to present a much better, more coordinated foreign policy. Now, that's not necessarily a really great thing for the rest of the world, or you know, especially the rest of the region in Asia, because there are some indications that he might be somewhat more assertive. He's known as a princeling. He's from one of these families which his father was a founding member of the, the nation. He was a, a communist guerrilla who uh, became a communist commander and then became a very senior person in the, in the uh, communist government. So he, he really believes in the manifest destiny of China and the idea of the rejuvenation. We heard him say today a couple of times the rejuvenation of the great Chinese nation. 5,000 years of history. It's time for us to reclaim our, uh, our um, place on the world stage. So you, we, what we may see, actually, is an even more nationalistic, possibly more assertive, even aggressive China, but a more coordinated and coherent foreign policy that is not necessarily palatable to the rest of the region or the rest of the world. On that note of cautious concern, we'll bring this podcast to a close. My thanks to Jamil Andalini in Beijing, David Pilling in Hong Kong, and James Blitz here in London. World Weekly is produced by Martin Staber. Till next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. With the McDonald's app, you can get your favorite thing delivered to your door. So if you were looking for a reason to skip washing those dishes you left in the sink, consider this a sign. Right now, get $0 delivery fee with any purchase of $15 or more, only in the app. At participating McDonald's, minimum purchase excludes tax and service fees. Delivery prices may be higher than in restaurants. Other fees may apply, not valid with any other offer, discount, or coupon.